Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm Elizabeth, a marathoner, running coach, and answer seeker. When I became a new runner at the age of 29, I had so many questions, but it felt like I was on my own to figure out all of the answers. So now I'm here to answer all your running questions to help make you a better, smarter, faster runner. There's no question too simple and no topic too complex. So let's get started. My guest this week is Starla Garcia. Starla is a registered dietitian and a 2020 Olympic trials qualifying marathoner, which means she's fast. Her journey to wellness came after battling an eating disorder as a Latina student athlete during her collegiate years. Now her story is what fuels her mission to dismantle the restrictive mindset and rules that runners create around diets, exercise, and body image to help them align their nutrition with their performance goals. I couldn't think of a better guest to have on to discuss our topic today of in-run and in-race fueling and nutrition. Starla, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you here. Hi, Elizabeth. Thanks so much for having me today. I am so excited to be on your podcast. So before we dive into our really exciting topic today, I want to hear a bit about your story. I want to know how you became a runner and how you became a dietitian who works with runners and what you do professionally. So yes, I became a runner at a really young age. Um, I started running in elementary school um, just you know for field days, and I knew that I was a pretty quick runner because every every day or every other day, well. I felt like every day at that time, but we would do a lap around the, I guess, like the school fields, and I always finished first. I was always the fastest girl to finish. Sometimes I was always beating the guys, so it just depended on who it was that day. But I knew like very early on that I was a pretty good runner um, and got a lot of positive feedback from that those experiences as a kid. Um, and then I started running in high school, did it more competitively, got more serious about it got recruited to run at University of Houston and I started my, I guess like my more competitive um, sub elite career at University of Houston. Um, And then I started to do marathons shortly after fulfilling my collegiate experience there. So started doing marathons in 2014 and I loved it after the first one. I knew I, I always knew I wanted to become a marathoner and I knew that was a trajectory for myself, which is so funny um, to think about, you know, the 10 year old or eight year old start thinking about marathons, but that's really what it was. Um, I always wanted to run a marathon as a kid. Well, I guess the second answer to that question is a dietitian. So I started thinking about um, what I wanted to do more when I was in college and I was a D1 athlete. I just couldn't balance out. It was just a really hard time for me in college. And after my first semester, I just um, vocalized to my athletic academic advisor, you know, I would really like to do something else. I don't know if you know, being a doctor is right for me anymore. I don't think I can see myself there. And so I didn't want to lose all of my credits. I had a ton of credits um, in the science fields. And so she encouraged me to go through nutrition. And if I ever changed my mind about it later on in life, I could always move back into that space too, or other medical professions. And so I was like, okay, sure. You know, that sounds like a good idea. So I ended up starting to study to be a dietitian. Um, and it was mainly also from a very selfish place. I was undergoing an eating disorder at the time. And so it was kind of a way to manipulate information for myself and, um, really just learn how to keep myself thin and skinny. Um, so I could be a better runner, what I thought, what, what, what I thought I needed to be, to be a better runner. Um, and then later on in my career, 
going through school and going through graduate school, I realized like, hey, you know, I actually really do want to be a dietitian now. And I could succinctly say why I wanted to be a dietitian. And it was to prevent from what was happening to other runners um, um, that had a very similar experience to me in college. And that experience you're describing, it's really interesting because I recently had another dietitian on this podcast, Jen Scott, who ran in college, also had an eating disorder when she was running in college and then became a dietitian kind of because of her being in her eating disorder and then going through recovery. Mm -hmm. And it's remarkable to me how how just, I mean, we talk about, yeah, the prevalence of eating disorders among, you know, female student athletes is very high, but it seems like exceptionally high. And that's a really scary thing that we're like, are we talking about this enough? Do you feel like there's enough education going on? Not just about, you know, feeling your body correctly for all runners, but specifically for developing female athletes. I don't think we're thinking about it enough or talking about it enough. In my opinion, this is why I'm I talk about it all the time Um, uh, and like I've been invited to be in a lot of podcasts and I don't stop talking about it um, because it is very, very important. And some people may see it as like, oh, she's just like wanting attention. But I'm like, no, like through my experience, it is it is imperative that I continue to do this to save somebody else. Like I truly believe like I went through that experience in order to help other people. And if I have to share it till my last breath, I will. Um, and that's just what I truly believe. I think I think it's also not just in the running community, but at large, you know, diet culture is very much alive and I don't think people really see it. And it's awesome whenever I get a client and then they start to really see it and they can vocalize against it. And they're just like, wow, I did not realize that I was being so impacted by all of the diet talk and everything around us that is telling us that we need to be thinner and thinner and like that's the only way that we will ever be worthy of a job of a partner of all those like getting a salary raise of having good friends like or being in a healthy relationship or having a healthy relationship with your parents like all of that is being told to us 24 7 and it is very loud um and whenever i equip somebody i want them to feel like they are being disruptive and they can speak for themselves at the end of us working together, not just as an athlete, but like, can you recognize diet culture enough to speak out against it? Because when you're equipped to do that, you're now filtering through for the next generation of female runners. Yes. And the insidiousness, I mean, you talk about the pervasiveness of diet culture and it can be very loud, but it's so, such a constant background presence. You don't even hear it until you learn to recognize it. And then you look and go, oh my gosh, like this is everywhere in the messaging, sometimes implicitly, sometimes explicitly. And when it comes to runners, a lot of runners who start running later in life find the sport because they want to lose weight. So they're already approaching running from a position of running equals weight loss, thinner equals better. And one of the most dangerous things I think for well any person, but specifically any athlete, is to either intentionally or unintentionally underfuel their body. And so, I mean, we'll talk specifically about, we're talking about in-run and in-race fueling. Um, 
And fasted running, I feel, has become a very popular way of people say, well, to lose weight when I run, I just won't eat beforehand and I won't eat during my run so that that will maximize the weight loss. And let's just start here and very basically talk about how dangerous that is to do, no matter how much you might weigh. It's always dangerous to be underfueling. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely is. Thanks so much for saying that. Um, I think it is mainly because one, you could bottom out, you could have a blood sugar drop. And that doesn't mean that somebody that has a blood sugar issue, like having diabetes or type one or anything like that, everybody has blood sugars and everybody has insulin and everybody has hormones. Um, so insulin is not just the medication that you inject, it's an actual hormone that is produced in your body. And so if we are not taking in any fuel and we are fasting and we are going out for very long runs or it's a hot day, which the hot days are quickly approaching guys it is so important that we do start fueling so that way we can prevent an actual medical emergency from happening to you the other thing too is electrolytes i see it a lot of the time too where people are like why shouldn't be taking in sodium and it's like no you actually do need it because if sodium is continuing to come out onto your skin layer the water follows it and it's osmosis, right? Like we learned this in school. It's like where the salt goes, the water's gonna go. And so if the salt layer is getting thicker on your your body because you have to cool yourself down um, and your body's going to do that because it's homeostasis, we need to understand like that's not necessarily a good thing. We want to make sure that we are keeping the salt in so your cells stay hydrated. Cramping is another thing, right? Like potassium, we want to make sure that our muscles have that contraction happening because our heart is also a muscle and we cannot forget about that too. It's a major organ, but it is also a muscle. And so if our muscles are starting to have those issues, we need to remember that our main muscle is our heart. And so we need to fuel our heart and we need to fuel it also with with the proper electrolytes that are going to help it contract appropriately. I usually try to apply a lot of the logic around the fueling so that way people understand it. It's not just like, oh, we need to fuel to fuel faster. And then people try to rebuttal, well, I'm not fast enough or what is fast enough or how long do I need to go? It's not really about that. It's more of let's apply some logic and a little bit of common sense here because I think whenever people see it in that way, they're like, oh yeah, you're right. I do need to start fueling. And it's, it's not about being fast or anything like that or being thin enough to deserve to fuel. It is just that you are a runner and you're doing something not normal. Like if you're training for a half marathon, not everybody does that. And I think it's running a long time is too normalized. And we don't think that we are, we are fueling that we don't need to fuel because our lungs are not as long as somebody else. And so it be, also becomes a comparison trap too. And that's an excellent segue into the question I want to ask about uh, the runners that you see who come to you who are not doing any sort of in-run fueling, or maybe they're only taking, you know, a little bit of fuel during their actual races. What are the biggest barriers you see why people say when you ask them, like, well, why aren't you, you know, just curious, why have you chosen, you know, why aren't you fueling in your runs? Why aren't you fueling your races? What are some of the common causes, objections, explanations that you get from runners? That's a great question. Um, some of them are, I tried one and it didn't work for me. And so, 
you need to try more. That's my, that's my rebuttal. That's my answer to that one. You need to keep trying or you got to give me something to work with, right? Because I can find something that's going to work for you. So it could also be somebody that has IBS, IBD. There are specific gels and options for that specific population. So if somebody knows that that's an actual problem, you know, goo is probably not going to be the best option for you. You know, we need to try something else that's going to be more appropriate. Um, so there's always options for that person that's just tried one thing and just thought like it did not work for me. The other one is they haven't tried anything at all or they haven't really felt like they needed it yet. So I'm trying to also, they're trying to seek validation and when should I actually start? The other one too is, well, I don't know how often to take one. I mean, it just starts with taking one and then taking it sooner, sooner, and sooner. And so that's really the way that I try to get somebody to start to is getting them really comfortable with it. Um, another one also is, but I'm going to have to take water with me and I don't want to take water. You know, there's always ways to also take water with you. It can be through a handheld option or you can place a bottle of water somewhere. Um, you can plan your route around a fountain. You can plan your, around, uh, your route around the house. There are ways to get in fluid. The other one that I always hear too is nobody else is fueling in my runs. So therefore, I don't need to. That doesn't mean that your partner is right or that your training partners are doing things correctly. Even if they are faster than you on a race or in a pace level, that doesn't mean that they're necessarily right either. That I feel is really important to highlight that the individuality of training and just because somebody who might be a faster runner than you is doing things a specific way does not mean that one, it's right for you or two, that it's the right way to do it at all. So just because the person who's faster than you doesn't take any water or any fuel on their runs, long runs, workouts, whatever it is, does not mean that that is a valid or the correct option for your training. Exactly. Yes. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about in run or in race fueling, specifically for running, which is on a normal, you know, training run, easy run, recovery run, long run workout, whatever it is, what is the threshold for that run where you say, hey, you know what, this is a run where you'd want to take some fuel with you? That's a great question. Um, I think well, the recommendations are over an hour. Some people say 75 minutes. Some people say 90 minutes. From what I've seen um, most of the time and what most dietitians are encouraging is anything after an hour. You know, if there's a 65-minute run, you might be able to get away with it. But, you know, if you're going 75, 70, um, 80 minutes, you maybe want to start considering taking at least one gel. And then that's just how I start people off is let's just take one gel, see and compare your energy levels. Let's see what's going on. Do you feel better? Did you like it? Let's at least try this one flavor over the other one. So it's a great distance to just experiment with somebody. It's very low effort experimentation that's happening. And I always encourage that like, hey, you know, you you know, you may not feel like you need it, but it's a great time to experiment before you get up to the 18 miles and then you actually need the fuel and then you don't want to mess up your run. So then you don't do it. So I always encourage, it's a great time to just experiment with, um, I think that's how I usually get a lot of my clients to do it is just offering, you know, you're, it's okay to get it wrong. It's a short run anyway. 
um, or it's a shorter run from like your standard long run, right? Comparing uh, based off of where somebody is actually at. So I like to encourage it there. I personally, if I know it's a very hot day, I don't care if it's an hour. I will take a gel on a 45 minute run because I know I'm probably going to feel better. And that's just how I like to do it. Um, I have no ego attached to my pace or my time. If I'm like, you know what? It's hot today. I kind of want to try this gel out today. It's 45 minute run. What the hey? Um, and for me, for those that don't know, I'm actually um, going through a rebuilding stage too with my mileage. I was injured for most of the pandemic with an IT band issue. So 45 minutes feels long for me right now. And it, that's okay. That's just where I'm at. It's every day or every week I'm attaining new mileage and my body hasn't done this kind of mileage in a year. So I'm thinking like, hey, you know, it's going to feel hard right now for me. I'm probably just going to take a gel and see how I feel. So letting go of like, am I doing this right? Am I fast enough? That doesn't matter. It's just really what your body needs. And so sometimes you may need to take it sooner if if an hour is your long run right now. And that's okay too. Something I've heard from a couple runners when it comes to in-run or in-race fueling is that they're afraid of taking more gels so the calories are wasted. Like they're afraid of over consuming fuel on their mm -hmm. runs and not quote unquote burning it all and having like excess fuel. Like if they, you know, oh, I don't need to take three gels. I maybe I only need two, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, take the extra calories. Let's just talk about this for a minute because this feels very diet culture-y when we start talking about that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, it kind of makes me cringe a little bit and I get a little, um, uh, I don't want to say anger, but a little frustrated. Um, and so here I would have to say, well, let's say you took in the 100 calories there, but then, you know, you were so exhausted later on and, you know, and you decided to skip that gel. So let's say you start to have sugar cravings later on. Could we have prevented the sugar craving from occurring had you fueled appropriately, right? Because I don't think people are connecting that either. Sometimes on long run days where people have the all the sugar cravings, all the salt cravings that come back in later on in the, the day or they feel really hungry um, later on in the day, that could actually be prevented um, through proper fueling during a long run too. So maybe they're not feeling it immediately after the run and maybe they have poor appetite, but later on in the day or the next day, your body's going to be asking for calories. And so because there was not enough calories around your run, you know, your body's going to ask for it anyway, and it's going to make you have to eat something. Your body knows how to outsmart your calorie counting. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> it really, really does. It will always find a way to yes. get what it needs. Yes. So let's talk about what in-run fueling does. So we talk about taking in fuel on your run. We we're talking about carb-based sources of fuel. How does that help you in your running? Like, what is the benefit? Why do we need to fuel on those runs that are over, you know, 30, 45, 60 minutes in duration? What's going on at a cellular level? That's a good question. I always like to use blood sugars as a good example to explain it to people too. Um, Cause I, I mean, I also came from like a diabetes background prior to starting to work with um, runners. So I always go back to blood sugars 
And so your body's going to use glucose immediately, right? Or glycogen, that's one of the main sources it's going to pull from. Um, and so if we haven't ingested anything that's in our blood sugar now, um, that was carbohydrate rich, um, your body's going to start to have blood sugar drops throughout the run. And that's why people start to get really fatigued. They don't feel good. Sometimes they start to experience nausea, even though they haven't eaten anything. And what they're experiencing is a crash, right? So, and that's what people also experience in the marathon. Um, when they haven't taken up, a fuel, up, up enough fuel, they hit the wall or they have a crash somewhere in their run. Um, and so by preventing that, we need to spike your blood sugar a little bit, right? We need it to come back up. And so that's where fueling is so helpful is whenever we take it, it's, it's mainly carbohydrate. So it's going to come into your bloodstream and your body's going to use it effectively. It's also going to go directly to your muscle cells um, and all of those things that are moving, right? Like we need carbohydrate because because we are asked we're giving our body glucose an immediate form of glucose um and so your body's going to utilize that very appropriately and efficiently for you um and so whenever i'm explaining it to somebody i always like to draw a curve of like when people don't feel and it's like a downward trend and when people feel like every 30 minutes, every 5K, there's like these little hills, right? It looks like a nice elevation map of up and down, up and down, up and down. It never goes under a level right to where it's going to seek a crash. And so ideally, we're doing that for our bodies. We're having a nice up and down effect during the run because or we want it to be as consistent as possible our energy levels. So that way our body is able to actually run to its fullest potential and get to that pace that we want to, to run at. And because our body's moving so quickly, it needs all of that too. Um, so I always like to explain it in that way because then people are like, oh, like, yes, like that makes sense. Um, and I've, I've worked with type ones before in the past too on it. And it's really interesting because you'll see it a lot faster um, with that population. They need to be taking in fuel pretty readily or really quickly. Um, and so people, they're experiencing a similar effect, but it's over a longer period of time, maybe not as immediate either. Of course, there's a huge intensity difference between going on like a normal easy run or a long easy run and then working up to race pace, especially for those longer distances. Do our fueling requirements change based on the intensity of our runner workout? Is there a difference between going on like a 15 mile easy run versus doing like 16 miles with eight miles at goal marathon pace versus actually running your marathon at goal marathon pace? Do the, do the fueling requirements change at all over those types of things? No, they don't. But I would suggest that maybe somebody has options that they can take during those faster times. And so that's why it's important to not just practice fueling on a long run, but at like other kinds of runs too. So that way you have a good idea of what's going to sit well, like what are you willing to put up with during a race too, right? Like, because um, I think that's another one uh, and being open to different options too. So not being so rigid around the fueling because I mean, I always like to encourage my athletes that I work with, like, let's take a bottle, let's take a gel of the track. So when you're doing something fast in the middle, you actually pause and then you can see if it sits well for you. And if you like it during a faster session, like, let's, let's try that out for a little bit. Um, and so that way you have a much better track session. I mean, why not, right? If you're going to be out there for an hour anyway, 
might as well maximize it. Um, and so people are pretty willing to do that because there's a stop and go thing happen. I know we often talk about fueling in the context of longer runs and longer races, but fueling is also important for shorter race distances. So if you're running a 5K or a 10K, fueling appropriately for that race distance is also very important. I'll never forget, I heard somebody be, be very snarky. Um, I was It was like a 5K a couple of years ago, I was, you know, standing in the shoe or getting ready to start. And somebody at the, took a gel, like, you know, as we're all saying, I, somebody behind me whispered something like, I can't believe they needed gel before a race like this. It was just like the most bizarre, judgmental. Of course, that person ended up being very fast. And I hope the person who was snarky ate their words a little bit. But <laughs> fueling is not just for longer distances. Fueling is appropriate for any race distance. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Yes, especially your pre-race. If you're doing something that short, it really, really matters. You can't just go in like fasting like you would a regular run just because it's three miles. You're still asking your body to go pretty fast, right? Um, And so we're trying to prevent hamstring issues, glute issues from occurring. And sometimes that's all related to electrolyte and fluid um, use or like how well you're doing that too before a race or a run. And so I always like to encourage that, especially for my my older athletes, we need to make sure that that fueling part is down because that can prevent an injury from occurring. So let's talk about all the different types of fueling options that are available now, because we talked a bit about gels, you talked about bottles. And like you said before, one of the common kind of rebuttals to, you know, why haven't you been fueling during your runs or races is that it doesn't sit well, or I haven't found something that sits well. And there are so many options available. So we have different types of gels, we have drink mixes, we have chews, we have whole food options. Do you just want to go through, you know, a quick list of what's available out there and what might work better for one person versus another? You mentioned IBS or those types of things. Yeah. So with, um, particularly with IBS, it's mostly like the type of carb that's coming in or which options. Um, so it can be, I mean, without population, it can be a variety of things, but really finding like the brand that's going to sit well. So like the untapped maple probably is going to sit well. Spring may have a couple. Puma may have a couple for them. Hammer is another popular one um, as well. So I try to get them to do some of those. And Cliff Blocks is a popular one too for that population. Um, so I, I like to get them situated with that and see which one do they like the best flavor-wise, um, texture. Um, do they like that it's, you know, because if I compare spring to Uma, the packaging is different too. So are they okay with carrying five Huma gels in for a race day or like a potential race day. So maybe we need to figure that out. Um, maybe we need to do something else or like with the gummies, right? Maybe somebody doesn't want to be having to open up a package during a race and trying to take gummies. Well, how are we going to take it then? Are we going to just throw it in the pocket? Does that person, is that person okay with it? I personally don't care. Um, I will do whatever it takes to run a fast race and I will dump um, sometimes a half-eaten gel back into my bra and come back and take it and finish it off. Not everybody's like that. Um, and so, I'm, I mean, I'm also somebody that's just like maybe a little old school where I'm like, you know, if I get dirty, not a big deal. At least I ran a fast time. 
or a, a time that I'm really happy with. So it doesn't matter to me if my hands get sticky. I'm just like, whatever. Um, but every like some everybody's different. Some people are going to be focusing on that. I I don't focus on stuff like that. Also, like, can they open it right? Because um, that's another one. Like, I know Gatorade gels have, like, a side opening. And the, a lot of other gels have one at the top. And so can they open it easily during a race? Are they okay with opening it up with their teeth? Or are they going to be opening it up with two hands? Because that's going to make a difference, too, for that person. In terms of the mixes, I love mixes so much because they give you everything. Fluid, carb, and electrolytes. But the one thing is like not everybody wants to carry a bottle, a handheld bottle. So then I have to figure out, well, are they open to carrying at least one bottle? Can I can I convince them to do like a really small one? And some people are like a hard no, and that's okay because I'm also a hard no for that one. But then how are we going to get in the additional carb that you need and the extra salt that you need? Can, are you willing to take a different kind of gel that's going to have higher electrolytes or are you willing to also take a salt tab? And so figuring out that too with the client or the runner. I think a lot of those things people don't consider until I'm working with them where they're like, oh yeah, I do need like additional 400 milligrams of sodium in a race. I didn't realize that. How do we do that, Starla? And so then I'm like, well, we can't just like remove the bottle and then hope it works out on the course because what if you miss the table? Um, so I'm not willing to do that for somebody, especially if it's going to be a hot day or in the summer. So I think all of those things, it just really depends on the fueling strategy and the client preference. Like I think preferences matter so much in a race strategy or in a long run fueling strategy so much that people don't realize that. And like understanding your own preferences around that is going to impact like what you're going to choose. For example, I had a client where he was a blank slate, had never done anything ever. And so I asked him, well, you know, what do you what do you think you're going to like? And he said, well, I don't want to have things that are super sweet because it's just not my my thing. Like, I don't want something super sweet, but I'll do whatever. And so then I was like, well, do you want to take gummies or gels? So he's like, you know what? I'll try gummies for a long run. And then he decided... I didn't like that. No, I don't want to be chewing stuff like that doesn't sound appealing um, in a race. And so he went to gels instead. And so then knowing what he preferred, I encouraged a specific gel for him. And he had very high electrolyte needs because he was salting out really badly. And so I had to choose a specific kind of gel for him. And then I encouraged him to take um to take tailwind as another option for his electrolytes and his carbohydrate needs um, to get him to the 80 to 90 gram max. And so he was able to tolerate everything, no problems. But of course he gave me a little bit to work with even though he had never done it and he was flexible with whatever I wanted him to do. That is amazing because it just illustrates exactly how many options there are out there. I mean, even between brands, brands have multiple different types of products. Within each product, there are multiple different options, flavors, electrolyte profiles, caffeine, no caffeine, you know, flavored, unflavored. Like it is, it is truly down to uh, a, a lot of personal preference. You know, if you hate you know, banana, don't eat a banana flavored gel, like, you know, set yourself up for success here. And the nice thing now is there are a lot of brands that are coming out with 
lightly sweetened or low flavor options. So I know like goo has a, a naked, like an unflavored gel. Martin is a really low flavor profile. So if you're not the kind of person who wants that flavor hit, you have options available to you too, where it's just kind of a, a nothingness, but you're still getting what you need. Exactly right. And like all of the electrolyte mixes, like some of them are going to be a little different, but they're all pretty much the same. They're the companies are just making their own, right? So I think it's like, be open to trying stuff that is different from your training partners. I will say I have never written the same fueling plan for two different athletes. And the time that I've worked with just runners and endurance athletes, Nobody has had the same plan. Everybody has been different. I've written three different ones for a client for different races for a 50, a 50K, and then a marathon. Um, like all of them have been different for even that one person because she was like, okay, I don't think I want to do real food this time because it's going to be shorter. We need to come up with something else. And so she was practicing with one and she was like, I got tired of it. I'm so tired from it from the 50 miler. I'm going to use spring energy now. So we had to do a whole new plan for her just based off of spring energy products. So there's a lot of flexibility in what you ask and what you prefer. Something I've also noticed is I've really tried to incorporate uh, legitimate fueling strategies into my training as well. Um, I, for the first couple of years that I ran, I was uh, I was one of those fasted runners, and I can tell you from experience, it's miserable. Your recovery time is terrible. You will bonk on races. <laughs> fueling is the way to go. It is better for you all around. But is that when I started incorporating fueling into my training? the mindset I had around it as I was expecting it not to sit well. I was expecting the gel to sit poorly with me. And the expectation can sometimes produce the the undesirable result, right? So if I'm taking fueling, expecting to feel bad, you know, GI wise, right? I'm expecting to feel it in my stomach. The odds are that I will probably feel uncomfortable because it's something that I'm focusing on. I'm expecting. I'm I'm expecting not to have a good time. Uh, and then I had a couple times where I just didn't think about it, and it was the same fuel that I was taking, and it sat completely fine. Our mindset around feeling can also influence how we feel about fueling. I would agree. Yes, there's definitely a mind body or mind gut connection there um, that can influence the GI issues to occur. I think something else that a lot of people think is like, it's the gel causing the problem. It could be the way that you're eating in your everyday life or your daily nutrition that's also affecting the gut things. So don't just blame it on the end run feeling or the thing, right? Because it's additional calories or just carbohydrate and you're trying to blame that for the issue. It could be other things as well. I've also seen athletes that are under fueling and that is continuously causing the GI problem. Everything will look great on paper. And I see people's logs too, as I have my client's log whenever we're trying to figure out the feeling. It can, it, like I've seen it to where, you know, having an extra snack in the day or during that week can actually result in no GI issues um, for that person. And it's it's pretty like, I don't think people realize that it's like dieting can cause some of the GI issues or that need for control over your body can cause the GI issue to occur. And something else that can cause a GI issue when you are taking 
in race or in run fueling is that maybe you're taking a gel or blocks or strip waffles or whatever your preferred fuel source is and you're not hydrating with it because unless you're taking a drink mix the the other things are designed to be taken with hydration or else they kind of just sit in your stomach and congeal (laughs) yeah that is very very true yes so i do encourage like whenever somebody is taking a gel that they are taking it with water or we have it mapped out in that way. So that way it moves through and it gets digested. Um, So everybody's just a little different. Yeah. And figuring that out too. Let's talk about training your gut because uh, we talked about the things, you know, taking in the estimated or recommended amount of fueling, it's, you know, 30 to 90 grams of carbohydrates every hour of running. That's a really wide and broad recommendation. And so somebody saying, no, 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 I'm only going to do 30. They might be better served going up to 45, 60, 75, 90 grams. Let's talk about how you can train your body to become accustomed to taking in more fuel when you run. That's a good question. I usually like to make sure that that each person feels comfortable with the very first gel or that they are actually going to do it. And then getting them to a place where it's like, all right, well, do you know that each gel is maybe like anywhere from 20 to 24 grams of carb or 25 grams of carb? Do you know how many you're going to have to take then per hour? Can you actually count those grams of carb per hour? Because I think that's where people really gain that awareness because they're like, oh, I took a gel per hour. That's only 20 grams of carb. You're not even meeting the minimum there. And so, and I'm like challenging people when they listen to this episode to pull out their gel and to actually see it. Because I think that's going to really open up a lot of people's eyes. So I think whenever people are thinking about the 30 grams of carb, they're like, oh, well, I'm just under. But over a period of time, like you're still under, you're still under, you're still under. And so the three, four gels in the marathon, they're not enough. Or what I like to also do is like, well, you could take fluid with carbohydrate if that makes you feel better. But we don't know, right? Like if you're taking, if you're just relying on cups, that could fall everywhere. So what we need to do is maybe if you're going to take a bottle, we need to also factor that factor that in and then we're going to put in the gel. So I like to work backwards a little bit or I get somebody like, okay, we're doing 30. Let's challenge you to 45 this next time or 40 grams of carb per your run. How long is your long run? Okay, well, that means if you're doing um, two hours, we need to get in 80 grams of carb within that two hour span. How are we going to do that now? And so taking the gels and helping them figure it out um, along the way is kind of my approach of, you know, let's actually work together and figure it out. Or we're going to do like three gels and a mix, or we're going to take four gels throughout that time plus a mix. It just really kind of depends per person on how they want to get there. But there are ways to figure it out. Sometimes too, what I say to a client is, you don't have to chug your gel down. Like you don't have to do that. Like just how I mentioned, like I'll take a half eaten gel, like put it back in my sports bra pocket, move on for a little bit, come back to it. The point is that you're taking in the 50 or 80 grams or whatever you're trying to get to per hour. That doesn't mean you got to take it right on the dot or right on the money. Like, yes, like that's great if you can do that. But if it takes you a mile to take a gel, so be it. I'd rather somebody take an hour, a mile to take a gel than to try and stuff it all down at one time and then they don't feel good about it. 
And one of the big problems when we are talking about those distances is that by the time you realize that you're underfueled, it's too late. By the time you hit the wall in a long run or a half marathon or a full marathon or an ultra, like you, there, there's really no digging yourself out of that hole unless you're like on a hundred mile or a multi-day race and you have the recovery time. But once you've hit the glycogen depletion, I have no more energy left. I didn't take enough fuel in. There's, you don't really have an option. Like, yes, hopefully you might have some fuel to take in, but anybody who's hit the wall can identify with what a horrible, horrible feeling that is. Yes. Yeah. It is not a fun feeling to, it's not a good thing to watch either. Um, no, it's so painful as a dietitian to watch the end of a marathon because I'm like, that's preventable. That's preventable. That's preventable. Many things are preventable. Um, in a race, like if somebody's cramping up, I'm like, that's a salt issue. When I see people stop at life mile 16, or they back out of a race because they're having a cramp, I'm like, that was preventable. Yeah. Um, it's very painful. It's not the training. Most of the time it's the nutrition. Yes, absolutely. You can, you know, it's crazy to think that we train for months in some cases, you know, people have been training for several years to train for a goal Mm -hmm. race and they don't think at all about the feeling strategy. So you show up on race day, your body is ready, and then you basically don't put gas in your car. And how are you supposed to reach the finish line if you don't have any gas in your car? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like you got the windshield wipers switched out, everything like (laughs) there's no fuel or like it's half there. And it's just I think for me as a dietitian, it's exciting for me when I get a client like that, where I'm like, oh, like they're going to reach their goal once they just fix the nutrition part. Like it's, I can, and I think also, cause I've, I'm an experienced runner as well. And I've worked with runners. I can tell, you know, all right, like that's all you need to do. One of the big differences that runners might notice when they're developing a fueling strategy is that elites get a bottle on a table that's their bottle and they get one every 5K during longer races Mm -hmm. where the vast majority of us have to get a little creative with our fueling strategies and don't have access to something like that. What are some ways that runners can practice their in-race fueling strategy on their training runs? That's a fun question. So I think what runners can do is, you know, pick a day where you're going to do like maybe anywhere from 18 to 22 miles if they're training for a marathon or if they're training a half, maybe anywhere from 10 to 13 miles or 9 to 12, whichever one that is for them, and go through their entire morning. Like what time are you planning to wake up at? What time does your race start? Um, what breakfast are you going to eat? Like all of those things we should be practicing too. Um, Because that's going to help a runner feel way more confident about what they're doing the day of the race. And write it down. That is a big one. Do it in your training log. Or what I have my clients do is log it for me. And then I go backtrack with them and look at what's working and what's not working. So um, I always encourage that people write it down, what they're doing and how often. Um, One of my clients actually keeps all her wrappers And she just like, you know, goes back and is like, okay, it took this one, this one, and this one, because she'll forget the flavor. And so 
she doesn't know how much caffeine she's had if she's had a GI issue because caffeine can also cause GI issues. So I have to have her keep all her wrappers just in case. And so I think writing it down with the water cups, it is helpful to have like a table or like if your running club or your group is going to help everybody practice it or maybe suggest it. I think that could be really helpful as well. Sometimes as well, what I've done in the past is I'll pick a loop and I'll just have a table out there with cups or bottles and I'm just practicing picking it up. So even I've done it too because bottles were new to me um, over the last year. Um, and so I was like, how do how the heck do I pick up a bottle? Like I'm used to picking up a cup or somebody handing it to me. And so even I had to practice how do I pick up a bottle um, without it slipping everywhere, right? So that was a big one for me. So I always encourage practicing that. I also encourage practicing the fluids that are going to be out there. Every race has their own different mix. So I know noon's really popular at CIM. Gatorade's a really popular one. Powerade is also very popular. So go online and check the course, how often there's there's going to be water stations or fueling. Um, and also check on what is the the mix that they're going to be serving out there because that can cause a GI issue for you and you don't even know. Um, so I always encourage checking that too. I know that you said everybody's fueling strategy is very individualized, but do you have any broad recommendation for frequency of fueling in those longer races? People tend to wait, you know, and they start fueling too late and then they might be under fueling. What would be your general recommendation for when, and you know, especially the half and the full marathon, how early to take that first fueling stop and not stop because you're probably going to be running while you feel, but if you want to take a walk break while you feel, that's also okay. How early should we start fueling in a race? I always encourage every 30 minutes. Um, and whenever I'm doing a talk or a club or a presentation, I'm like every 30 minutes, I do every 5k. Like that's a personal choice on my end. Um, cause I won't want to get to the 80, 90 gram as close as possible. But you know, with some people, it's going to be every 30 minutes, um, you know, just because. So I think when people think about it too, you're taking two gels per hour. So at the 30 and 60, so you'll be at the 40 there. So you're above the 30. Of course, that's kind of the minimum I would encourage, but you know, it's, that's where I like to start people off. Some people say like every four miles, but I'm like, Hmm. I don't know if I have somebody that's a 10 to 12 minute person, they're going to be over that 30 and they're going to keep getting backlogged. So I would rather that person stay on track to 30 because what if they walk, they have to walk somewhere or I don't know. I just like to encourage time-wise versus miles in that case, because I don't know what the paces are going to be later on. And I want to keep that person on track. For somebody who is a slower runner, maybe they're finishing in five hours, five and a half hours, or six hours, does their fueling strategy change even though they're out there longer? They might say, oh, I'm a slower runner. I don't need as much fuel as those faster runners. Is that true? No. If anything, they need more because they're going to be out there longer. Um, so they need to stay on, stay on track to the every 30 minimum that I'm suggesting. And that's just a general recommendation. Um, so that means if somebody's going to be out there for five hours, 
that means that they need like 10 gels out there, right? Like around nine to 10. So it is going to be more than somebody who's doing a, a three and a half um, right off the bat. So you're going to be taking in about three or two extra gels there. So I always encourage that versus like mile-wise because they're going to be out there. It's going to be hotter. You're going to need more electrolytes. You're going to need more fluid. Like you need more than me. Um, and that's what I always tell all of my clients is you're out there for an additional an hour and a half to two hours longer than I am. Like that is that's you're running an extra hour and a half. Like, I don't know if I could do that, but you're doing that. Yes. The energy requirements for running don't change. If you're out there running, you need fuel to fuel your running, no matter what pace you're running at. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you had any sort of blanket advice for somebody who is uh, hesitant to include fueling in their running because they want to stay fat adapted and use their own body fat to fuel their running, do you have any response or kind of explanation for why fueling still might be appropriate, even though they want to be fat adapted, they should probably still include some carbs on their runs? Yeah, I would encourage that because you never know what's going to happen out there. Like you may need that carbohydrate and that's just a, a preventative emergency thing. Um, and that's what I work off of is like, if you've never done a race like that, or you've never really trained for a long, long time doing that, it may behoove you to at least take something or a couple of things with you that are carb rich because you may actually really need that. Sometimes also I like to encourage like, you still should take carbohydrate because um, it takes years to get to that point where you are truly fat adapted in my opinion. I think also, what ends up happening there is unless somebody is actually getting testing done regularly to ensure that they are truly fat adapted, you would still need to take carbohydrate because I know some of the elites who are becoming fat adapted or trying to get there, they're still taking in carbohydrate. Maybe not at super high amounts, but your body still needs glucose um, to do the activity. So you still technically do need carbohydrate there too. And I'll also add from my personal experience is that fueling properly on runs, and I mentioned this briefly before, massively changed how I was able to recover from those long and hard efforts. I used to think it was normal to go for a long run, especially one that was hotter or had some, you know, a long run workout. And I thought it was normal to kind of be down for not only the rest of the day, but maybe the next day as well. And I thought that was a normal, like, oh, I'm just, that long run was so exhausting. And I would just be like, on the couch for 36 hours afterwards because I wasn't fueling either before or during my runs. And since I've started fueling during and before my runs as well, like I can, I'm fine. Like after my long run, even if it's really hard, I'm fine. Like, you know, I'm a little tired, but that multi-day recovery process, that was just because I was under fueled. I think also what ends up happening to you in that process of we're thinking about recovery like women need carbohydrates, like we're seeing that come out in more of the research around menopause and hormonal function. Like it is necessary that women have carbohydrate for a lot of different reasons, right? And so when we're thinking about what's happening to our hormones during our run, I just explained what was happening with insulin. Insulin's a hormone. So 
of course, it's going to affect our testosterone, progesterone, and also our estrogen levels too during a run and what happens afterward, right? Um, And a lot of people forget that women have testosterone as well. We just have lower levels than men do. So if we're wanting to maximize our testosterone levels to help preserve that lean body mass that everybody's trying to get to and have a low body fat, right? We still need carbohydrate to help the testosterone levels actually be produced at an amount that's going to help our recovery and maintain lean body mass. So it's not just about feeling good on a run and running fast. It's also preserving our hormone levels so that way we can actually preserve our lean body mass, prevent injury too. Um, And so, yeah, I think people forget about the hormones that are also involved in reproductive systems, but also like how we're showing up um, in our bodies too. 100%. The more I learn about hormones, the more I'm like, wow, they really do control everything. (laughs) They do. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like, um, yeah, whenever I have clients that are like, I really want lean, more lean body mass, it's not about the weight, but then they don't want to fuel. I'm like, yeah, but it's also stimulating testosterone production. And that's going to contribute to your preservation of lean body mass too. And the way that you build muscle is eating carbohydrate. Like that's how you build muscle. And then the protein helps you preserve it and recover. So there are two different functions, right, um, that we're asking um, for more muscle. So we need to feed our body or we need to feed our muscles, and then we need to help it recover. Briefly before we let you go, this has been so amazing, by the way. Um, but I want to talk because we, we basically talked about carbs, 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 carbs. And when in while you're running, we typically use carbs as our fuel source. Do you want to explain briefly why we use carbs and not like eat a bunch of protein or take in a bunch of fat or like some sort of fiber thing? Why do we use carbs and not those other macronutrients when we're on a run? Like if I were to take a, if I were to eat a steak mid run, that would have a different effect on me than taking a carb based fuel. Right. So that answer is mainly GI related, right? It can cause GI issues. It doesn't take longer to digest through your gut. And so that's why we don't recommend that one um, just for like functional, practical things we want to happen on a run. Um, and then, you know, carbohydrates, they're going to cause that spike, right? Because our muscles are using glucose. So just all the way back to blood sugar levels and maintaining them so that way our body can use it appropriately. Carbohydrates are going to break down into glucose. And so we want that to occur as well. Um, Protein and fat, they don't give us that blood sugar um, spike or they're not going to turn into glucose. So that's why we also don't recommend protein or fat because it's interesting. One of the most common diet trends I think we talk about now, not fad diets, but in terms of, oh, slow release or satiation and eating, you know, complex carbs with a fat and a protein. So it keeps you fuller for longer. And that is like the opposite of what we want to have happen when we're fueling on a run. Like we want those carbs and we want them right now. I don't want to wait to digest anything. I want them in my bloodstream as soon as possible. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. Um, Because I do have clients that like they want to take like a protein bar instead of like a granola bar. And I mean, yes, a protein bar could be helpful, but that may not be exactly what we're looking for. So people have a good idea 
but we're just going to apply it in a different way now. Um, and so when I explain it in that way, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, with my clients, I will actually like draw a blood sugar curve of like what's happening and stuff like that. So people understand and they can, you know, be able to see what is going on much better for the, in their body too. And protein, of course, is extremely beneficial, but let's save it for after the run when your body's actually in muscle preserving, muscle building mode and not in let's burn all the fuel sources we have available while you're actually on your run. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Starla, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I'm so excited that we got to chat about this. If people want to find you, follow you, work with you, how can they do that? Uh, yeah, so they can find me on Instagram. It's at Starla underscore shines on my website is www.thehealthyshine.com. And yeah, just pop into my DM, say hello, tell me if you enjoyed this episode. I always like to connect with um, other people's communities as well. So yeah, your people are more than welcome to find me there and send me a message. And hopefully your explanations and your experience and wisdom has helped some people maybe rethink their fueling strategy or want to add some fuel to their next run. So I thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find me on Instagram at runningexplained or at my website, runningexplained.co. If you have a question you'd like to have answered, you can submit it in my stories every Monday or email me at elizabeth at runningexplained.co. That's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H at runningexplained.co. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.